Welcome to Lord's Day Live. Here we are again, Doodle Bible School, me and you, look at us, <clears throat> Thank you for being with me, I appreciate it very, very much. It's not quite as cold this time as it was last time that we were together, but it's still wet and kind of cool outside, but thank you for being here. It's nice and chilly, or not chilly, what's the other word? Toasty, yeah, toasty inside the office with you, Doodle Bible School. Let's get to it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Basic Bible. Great for homeschool, Sunday school curriculum, etc. Then Moses parts the Red Sea because we're talking about experiencing Exodus. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> I need to get some kind of introduction and music going on there, don't I? That's pretty good. Gabriel did a great job, I thought, with that little graphic. Excellent. All right. Experiencing Exodus. Here we go. Segment number one. You know the drill. What do we do in segment number one? We'll get your head out the way, Sonny Childs, and we'll be able to see. Okay, I will. We do the doodle, don't we? See the doodle? All right, well, <clears throat> all right, get out your doodlators. We are going to doodle today, and uh, uh, today's doodle is not as hard as, as some have been in the past, but uh, let's just see if we can make it happen. You ready? Here we go. All right, what we do, oh, I didn't hit the button hard enough, did I? I'm going to hit it again. There we go. I hit it. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Chapter one. Israelites are enslaved. Chapter 2, Moses gets born. Guess what's going to happen in chapter 3? Well, I guess I got it right there, don't I? So that's pretty easy to see. The burning bush. <clears throat> We're familiar with that particular story, and if you're not, you're going to be today. <laughs> All right. Trees aren't really that hard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, really, it's just a stick, you know, and you kind of go like this, and uh, you you pretty much got a tree. But of course, we want to make it a little fancier. So we'll make it a little fatter, you know, and then we can make the limbs come up here if you want to. This limb comes up here and it's a little fatter there, kind of a thing. See, we already you already got the three. I know, I know you're saying, wow, Sonny, look at us. All right, but then we got to get the burning bush going. And so the burning bush, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of like a <clears throat> half circle. So kind of come up here. And then come back down a little bit like that, okay? And then go back up. You might do it a couple times like that, okay? And then make your half circle come back over here. And then you got a flame. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Look at that. We got a flame and put a little branches here, I guess, if you wanted to on the old burning bush. Got the three happening. See, it's on its side. <laughs> I know. You're saying wow, and I'm saying wow, too. That actually turned out pretty good. We'll leave that right there for us to admire for a while. All right. I got to get a drink, guys. I don't know what it is, but <clears throat> I got this thing. You didn't see it now. <laughs> All right. That's chapter three, the burning bush. Chapter one, Israelites are enslaved, or the Hebrews, as they're going to be called in this chapter, are enslaved. And then uh, chapter two, Moses gets born. Chapter three, he's going to be off in the wilderness doing the shepherd thing. He's going to see this bush and it's not burning up. He's saying, what in the world? Let's go check it out. The burning bush, chapter three. All right. So <clears throat> if I were to test you over chapter three thus far, I would be asking you to give me the theme for chapter three and can you draw the picture? Well, there's the picture. 
And when you look at that, what does this look like? It looks like a bush that's burning up, but that's not burning up because it doesn't burn up because it's not burning up. It, but it looks like it's burning on fire, right? <laughs> so there you go. Chapter 3 of Exodus, the burning bush. Okay, let's be silly. Love this guy, llama, whatever he is, alpaca, I don't even know. He could be a goat. I don't think he's a goat, though. But anyhow, see, there's a time to laugh. And that's right now, because God made that. <laughs> Why was the phone walking in the water? I don't know about your phone, but if my phone goes for a walk in the water, it's done. It's kaput. It's because it ruins phones. But this particular phone, it decided to take a walk in the water. My question is, what in the world? Why did the phone take a walk in the water? Because it was waiting for a call. <laughs> I get it? Not waiting, but waiting. Like you would wade in the water. <laughs> it was waiting for a call. That's pretty good. You can remember that one. Put that right there in your old repertoire of jokes. And hey, you can have that. Pull it out at the party and say, hey, I got a funny for you. <laughs> Why was the phone walking in the water? And everybody's going to say, well, I don't know, but he better get out because it's going to ruin the phone. And after they get done talking about all that, you can say, no, nah, he was waiting for a call. <laughs> all right, moving on. Segment number two. Make a memory. Stick that old thing right there in the old gourd right up here at the top of your shoulders and don't let it go anywhere else because you want to keep it. <laughs> Making a memory. All right. <clears throat> in order to make a memory... We need a memory verse. So Moses stands at the parting of the Red Sea and he says, Look, folks, all you got to do is say it five times each line. You can do this. And so we look at the lines and we say to ourselves, Well, maybe we can do this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Burning bush. Out of the midst of a bush. <laughs> I told you. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. It didn't burn up. That's kind of odd, isn't it? All you got to do is say each line five times, guys. And the angel of the Lord, 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 and the angel of the Lord. I think that's five times. And the angel of the Lord, that's six times. And the angel of the Lord, now you got it seven. It's stuck in your head. <laughs> but if you can't remember it that way, what you can do is you can blank out some of the main words. You see what I'm saying? And then try to keep it in your head that way. And the, you know that one. Angel of the Lord. I, we've already said it. Seven, that's eight times. That's stuck in the gourd. It ain't going nowhere. No siree. See there? Appeared to him, appeared to him, appeared to him, appeared to him. See what I'm saying? All you got to do is say it five times. If you can't get it that way, leave some blanks and try it again. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and the angel Lord. We've already got the first line. So, if I were to test you about the memory section, I would ask you this question, which becomes two questions. <laughs> As I hang like a bat from the ceiling. All right. From where did the angel of the Lord appear to Moses? Come on, guys. So, now you know the answer to that one. Can you quote the memory verse? No. <laughs> but I can probably get the first line. <laughs> Let's be funny. Got the geese happening here. What color is sad but not heavy? A color that is sad, but not heavy. Now, if I was a sad color, a gray, you know, but not heavy. Hmm. 
What color is sad but not heavy? Well, how about light blue? <laughs> That's pretty good because it's light, so it's not heavy. Blue because he's blue. <laughs> See what we did there? So what color is sad but not heavy? It's light blue. That's another good one. In segment chapter three, chapter three, I don't know what that means. In, in segment three, we go and we sit by the pond and we do some pondering and we try to think really heavily upon what we're pondering. And then we think real hard and then it comes to us what we're thinking about. Here we go. As we ponder, again, Moses, he's partner. Oh, dear. Got to get rid of the burning bush because he's blocking our text. See ya. All right. We got old Moses there. He parted the Red Sea. See, he's back there. You can't hardly see him, but he's stuck back in there. All right. Here's our passage for today as we're pondering. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them. Now, let's pause for a second and back up. Moses says, approach the bush. God said, hey, don't get too close because this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. Then he begins to talk to Moses about what he wants Moses to do. And in the instruction part of the conversation, we got this. First thing he says is, go gather the elders of Israel together and say to them. So as Moses is returning now to Egypt, he's got the assignment that I need you to go collect the elders of Israel. Now, that would be the older men. Elder, okay? Uh, that's why in the church today, whenever you have elders, they're generally older men. They're supposed to be older men because they're supposed to be people who are able to uh, look over their shoulder and say they got a lot of history of what they've lived through and problems they've solved, all those kind of things. Well, the same thing was back in the day with, when uh, Moses was going back to Egypt. They had individuals that were older and more and wiser, etc. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to gather those men together. Okay? Because we're going to go talk to Pharaoh. And we're going to say, let my people go. <laughs> oh, And the Lord, the God of our, your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying. So Moses is supposed to go and say, look, God has talked to me, elders, and here's what we're going to do. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So Moses says to the elders, or he's supposed to say to the elders, God's been watching. And he has seen what they have done to you. How they're abusing you. Keeping you enslaved. And I promise that I'm going to bring you up out of the affliction of, the Egypt, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And he says, this land that I'm going, to, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and put you in a brand new land. And he says, this land is so great, it's going to be like a land flowing with milk and honey. When I say flowing with milk and honey, what comes to mind? Well, you know, back in the day, milk was really, really important as far as something that they ate, they drank, and that kind of thing. And honey was very, very tasty. And so you got kind of both sides of this thing. That which you really need and all the pleasures that you can have, they're going to be in this land. This land is just full of them. I'm going to provide that for you because God says, I have seen what the Egyptians have done and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not liking it. And they'll listen to you and your voice and you and the elders of the Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. So you're going to take the elders and you're going to take them to the king of Egypt and say to him, look, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, I told you they are called Hebrews, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
And so the request is going to be made to the king of Egypt. Let us go so that we can have a spiritual time with our God. We want to go into the wilderness and make sacrifice to our God. But he says, I know that the king of Egypt is not going to let you go unless I compel him by my mighty hand. And so God recognizes that he's stubborn and it's not going to happen without God really pushing the issue. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This is real important. So he's going to give them favor. The Egyptians are going to look upon Israel, the Hebrews, with favor. And he says, I'm going to, uh, 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 where is it? My hand went in sight of the Egyptians. And, uh, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each house, excuse me, but each woman, I can skip the line, but each woman shall not, I can't read, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So it sounds like that God is going to put it in the hearts of the Egyptians to give the Hebrews stuff. And by the time they leave Egypt, they're going to have a lot of stuff because God is going to put it in their hearts to do right by the, by the, by the children of Israel. Now, it might be that, that God is going to capitalize on the fact that probably there are a lot of Egyptians who thought, this just isn't fair. I don't know why they made you slaves. And it's, uh, you know, that it, maybe they're, they're going to give them, you know, parting gifts, going away presents, that kind of thing. However it happens, God's going to put it on their heart. And by the time the Hebrews, the Israelites, leave Egypt, they're going to have a lot of stuff. All right, if we're going to test over that segment, we are going to ask these five questions. Who was Moses supposed to gather together when he got to Egypt? The elders. What was Moses supposed to say God had been doing while they were being mistreated? God was watching. Anyhow, you've got those, and if you don't got them, you can look them up, okay? So there's the passages, but there, there's the five questions. They will be upon the final test. And so go ahead and get them in your brain right now. They came from that passage we just talked about. All right. Cute little girl. Because love means nothing to them. I did it again. <laughs> I've got to fix this. That's the punchline. Now you got to tell me the joke. I did it last time, too. I don't know what in the world. Can anybody guess the joke? It kind of ruins the joke when I do it this way. i got to get these things reordered. All right, here's the joke. Why should you not marry a tennis player? Because love means nothing to them. Now, unless you've played tennis, you probably don't get that. But love <clears throat> is what they say when it's zero. Okay? And so love means nothing. It means zero. I think I completely ruined that joke because I got it out of order. I got to do something. Look what I'm going to do. Don't I, don't you ever do this. I'm going to put a great big question mark in my hand right here. You know what that's supposed to remind me every time I see that today? It's going to remind me, what is wrong with you, Sonny Childs? Go fix that slide in the midst of our Bible class. <laughs> I told you. I got this thing. Did I tell you I got a thing? It's right here. Right there is where the thing is. All right, the thing is going to leave me alone for a minute. Moving on.
All right, in segment number four, we apply going, 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 the why. We ask ourselves, why do we even want to study Exodus chapter three? And then I say to you, well, I'll tell you why, because, and then I show you this thing, and it's there, and you say, wow. There's a lot of reasons to study all the Bible. But I try in each chapter to pick out one thing, and here's the thing I picked out in chapter 3. There's old Moses. <laughs> okay, in chapter 3, I picked out this idea, you shall plunder the Egyptians. They're going to give them, remember God's going to, you read back up there, it says God's going to put it in their hearts that they're going to want to give you stuff. And so you're just going to take all this, the riches out of Egypt, basically. My question for you is, have you ever had someone be very mean to you, then change and want to give you good things? I have. Maybe they got caught in being ornery, or maybe they just got the feeling bad that, you know, you don't deserve for me to treat you that, whatever. And then in their guilt, they started giving you stuff. And maybe it wasn't stuff. Maybe they started complimenting you or wanting to be with you more or do something nice for you. You know, like, you ever had that happen? I have. My question, though, for you to answer is, what causes a person to change from being an abuser to being a blessing? What causes a person to go from being mean to you to wanting to give you gifts? That's your question. I'll tell you, I know it is because, well, here it is. Watch. I'll show you. It's right here. You ready? Four segment. What causes a person to change from being an abuser to being a blessing? I told you. It was. I said it was going to be there, and there it is. <laughs> now, what I need you to do, it's very important, just a short answer. You don't need to write me an encyclopedia. Just a short answer is all I need to know. What causes a person to change from being an abuser to being a blessing? Now, that being said, I think it's time to be silly one more time. <laughs> Love the kid's hat. The lip's kind of cute, too. What happened when the frog's car broke down? You got a frog driving along the road, breaks down. Now what do we do? What happened when the frog's car broke down? Well, he had it towed. <laughs> it towed. Frog. <laughs> he had it towed. I think it's a good one. Again, I think you should write... I know you're saying, well, he's got a question mark there. I've already told you why I got a question mark there. What happened when a car broke down to belong to the frog? He had it towed. <laughs> write that one down. That's a pretty good one. You can do something with that. All right, moving on. Segment number five. This young lady loves this segment. I guess it's a young lady. I don't know. Maybe it's a young man. Got the head thing going, so I'm not it was covered up. I'm not really sure. But I'll tell you... Whether it's a young man or a young lady, they're not happy. Because <laughs> it's test time. <laughs> they got their dinosaur here, but they're, they're just not happy. Do we really have to? Yes, I'm afraid we do. <laughs> here we go. All right, so <clears throat> five questions. that are Actually, ten. <laughs> ten questions that you're going to have on your final test. You might notice that this is test number three as we move into the book of Exodus. It's test number three because we're in chapter number three. <laughs> you probably already figured that one out. All right, I'll get out of the way. There you go, guys. There are all the questions for you for this particular time together. I think that you got them. I think I really do. And I think that they're up here. And I think that all you got to do is put them on a piece of paper or tell your mom and dad however this thing works with you guys at your house. You just go after that. And you tell them, and it's good, and I'm proud, and whoop, whoop. I love you.
thank you for being with me. I know we're silly, and I know that sometimes I forget to tell the joke correctly. I mean, I've even been known to tell the punchline before I even told the joke. <laughs> that's why i got to change that. But anyhow, we're together, and that's a good thing, right? I love you. This is Sonny Childs. <laughs> that is too, but that's a silly-looking one. This is Sonny Childs saying to you, be there. Matthew 16, 26. Well, that was fun. <clears throat> and uh, I hope that you enjoyed our Bible time together as well. It's important for me to make this as enjoyable for you as possible. If you found this study to be beneficial, would you please pray about uh, our ministry, that we will continue to have the funds to not just produce these things, but to put them out on all the various uh, formats that uh, Cindy is good at putting them out on. And uh, pray for her, if you will. She just got all kinds of stuff on her shoulders. She got to take care of that guy. <laughs> and then on top of that, she just got all kinds of stuff with the ministry and, and things that she takes care of with our parents, etc. She's a wonderful woman. I'm proud to have her. It's her birthday today. Anyhow, if you would, consider adding us to your mission as giving, would you? That would really be a blessing to us. All right, it's time to do the prayer thing. And so let's uh, go ahead. And if you've got a prayer request, go ahead and put it up there. Uh, as I just mentioned, <clears throat> my little wife has a birthday today. So if you can and you're on social media or whatever, reach out to Cindy and tell her happy birthday. 61 years she has blessed this planet. And I've had her for most of those and so thankful. Uh, but uh, happy birthday, Cindy. I love you. And I'm praying for you today that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, new semester of our Restoration School Biblical Studies and Young Preachers. Uh, please be praying as we start this new semester, but also be praying for young preachers, if you will. I, I, I saw recently some posts on social media that really concerned me. It basically was some men uh, that uh, were bragging about how that they you know can't just can't get enough books written by other guys on subject matters with regards to God. They love to read all of these theology books, etc., etc. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think what has happened so often in our fellowship, Christianity in general, is we are putting so much stake in what other men have written and said that I think we have really undermined what is the original purpose for every human being to find God, study God on his own. And uh, I, I posted this meme this past week, God would much rather have a preacher only own one book in his library and trust the Holy Spirit than to own an entire library of books and trust in man. Uh, I'd just like for us to get back to praying for young preachers that they will be inspired to study on their own, to really know the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in their heart and in their studies to drive them and to bring them to the subject matters and, and conclusions on things that they need to. I, uh, I guess one of the things that has kind of prompted this is, you know, I, I've got my, my son is in school and he's going to, to be have a Bible degree and, and, and all that. And I'm thrilled, etc. But it just seems like that there's so much emphasis at times on what other men have written and other men have said. What I would so much prefer is that he be taught to study on his own 
And uh, so pray for young preachers, would you? And by the way, Gabriel this morning is traveling with his mom here. In just a few minutes, they're going to head out there, going to Boydsville. And uh, he'll be preaching this morning. And I'm so thankful that he has that opportunity. And I, as I study with my son and I, I direct my son, and I'm really proud of Gabriel for doing this, he really does go to the book himself. Rarely. I, in fact, I asked him the other day, I said, how many times have you studied out of a commentary? He said, Dad, I think I read a commentary one time. I'm proud of that. That means that he's into the book and allowing the Holy Spirit to work upon his heart. And when he comes up against a passage he doesn't understand, I've taught him over the years, what you do is you go run to ask Dad what his opinion is. No, that's not what I told him. I said, if you run up against a problem you don't understand within the Bible, you go and search other places in the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. I got that one, by, by the way, from my dad. So it's kind of a generational thing, passing this down, that we don't have to have the opinions of man. We need the opinions of God. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right, I've preached my, enough on that. Better use of God's property. Uh, you probably can't read that. I'll get over, let me get over here. You probably can't read that because the, the text is way too small. But I, I just, this past week, I came up with 10 ways to better use your church building. And if you're interested in having that blown up so that you can actually see it, I'm thrilled to send it your way. Uh, just uh, let me know, ask for it, and I can send it by way of private messenger, whatever you need it. Uh, I'll try to get it to you. But there are 10 ways to better use uh, your church building. And i got a family member who is in the hospital, <clears throat> struggling, uh, hurting really bad. But uh, I, I am praying that you will be in prayer for him and his family as they talk with him uh, about his soul. And as they, they talk with him about various issues that he's having, uh, and uh, that God will open that door, and that he will be blessed because uh, God draws near to him. And so please, if you will, uh, be mindful of this family member. While I'm also on that subject, I know I bring him up every week, but uh, my dad continues to struggle. Uh, he's had a little bit of a better week this, this week, but uh, he rarely gets out of bed. Um, and uh, I just go in and curl in bed with him so I can spend time with my dad. But uh, my mom's got a lot on her right now. She's very frail, and yet she's uh, doing a marvelous job, take, job taking care of him. So keep my mom and dad in your prayers, please. Uh, the restoration message. Um, saw this this past week, and I thought, wow. The advice was from whoever this is, pretend that church is your kid's sporting tournament. Really? He says, if you do that, you'll make it, and I'll bet you'll be early. I appreciate the sentiment that we need to prioritize being the church, being together. By the way, the church is not an event. And when you say that, you need to, we need to be, because we really have got that all messed up. Church is not an event. Church is a group of people, okay? And so when he compares this idea of church to a sporting event, you, you, you begin to see why we're really struggling. When I try to pressure you into going to an event, rather than I try to love you into, we need to get together. Our, our lives need to intertwine. You see, there's two very, very different approaches going on there. And we need to get back to that idea of church is not an event. Church is the people. And we need to restore and understanding the best way to really be with people in an intimate way is home church. 
Family traveling, I already mentioned that with regards to uh, Gabriel and Cindy as they'll be leaving here in just a few minutes. I uh, just be kind of waiting out the door to hear the truck start, but they'll be heading up to Boydsville. But uh, pray for them that they'll be safe, please. Wednesday night live classes. There she is, 61 years young today. Love that woman. She's my favorite person on, on the planet Earth. Uh, but anyhow, Cindy's birthday today. Keep her in your prayers, if you will. But uh, Cindy's Secrets. On Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock Central Time, we are talking about woman's role. And uh, I'm using my wife as an example because she's the most phenomenal woman I know. And she uh, just uh, has trained me in so many, many ways with regards to what a husband should be and a father should be and all that kind of thing. But anyhow, we're listing a secret, Cindy's secrets. Now, they're not really secret as in that they're hidden. They're secret as in they're uncommon keys to success that Cindy has practiced. Phenomenal woman. Uh, I bragged on her probably way too much, but uh, here's her first secret that she shared with us this past Wednesday, and I would like to encourage you to please join us on Wednesday nights. Please pray for us as we present this material, as she teaches me what I need to present, and uh, as we can, I hope, really influence women around the world to uh, take their role back and stop trying to be a man. Be blessed that you are a woman and thankful that you're a woman and do your best with all the womanly glories that come your way. And then lastly on our prayer list, we try each time to mention home church. Uh, I've been trying to work these into social media as much as I can. Imagine your son growing up watching daddy lead home worship. What kind of impact would that have on his life? I'm really concerned for the church that we have emasculated the male population in within our fellowships basically expecting them to get your family to the building, but then just sit down and, and watch. And most men who attend services do not actively participate in the leadership of that service. When little Johnny looks forward and he sees that in spiritual things, it's always the preacher, it's always the elder, it's always that, but it's never my dad, things begin to click. He begins to put one and one together. And he recognizes that dad's not much of a leader in this particular realm. Home church, on the other hand, I wish you could attend our little home church. Every one of us, including the women, participate. And when little Judah looks at his dad, who happens to be the main leader of our, of our time together, as far as home church is concerned, he, he says, that's my dad. My dad is leading. And he's inspired by that. Our group mass assemblies that we have, they're emasculating our men. Anyhow, I, as I've been trying to do, I've been trying to present to you each week a uh, home church study guide. And there on the left, you've got the Sunday home church worship guide that you can use. And then you see the passage there at the bottom, chapter 3, verse 2 is your memory work. And then when you come to the right side, you got Monday through Saturday that you can use those for family devotionals. So screenshot that and you'll have that. Have that ready to go. You got it? I think I'll get some liquidation while you're doing that. All right, it's past time. We got to move on. Welcome to Lord's Day Live sermon segment. Time for us to apply the chapter that is on our hearts today, which is chapter 3 of the book of Exodus. We are dealing with Exodus Applied and trying to use each chapter as a anchor point for some particular 
principle lesson that we can apply to our own lives. And as we move through this marvelous book, we're now into chapter three, the burning bush. And I think you're going to see some interesting stuff, maybe things you haven't really focused on before with regards specifically to the name of God. Here are the five questions that uh, I am presenting to you at this present time for you to screenshot and be ready to fill in the blanks. That's what we're going to cover as we move through this lesson today. All right, you got them? Exodus chapter 3. As we look at Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to draw your attention to when God names himself. Here's the passage that we'll use. I'll read it in its entirety so that when I give my three points, we can just kind of zoom in on certain parts. But it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent to me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, you're aware, I suspect, that he is presently at the burning bush, and he's having a conversation with God. And in that conversation, God is giving him some assignments, not the least of which is, I need you to go back down to Egypt and rescue my people. And Moses is a little bit uncertain as to how that's going to play out. So he, he says this, he said, well, if I go down there, they're going to say, who sent me? And I don't even know your name. And so he asks that, what is the name? What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am, interesting, to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the Israel, the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. In this passage, which you're probably familiar with already, God is laying out the assignment as to what he needs from Moses. Now, in that process, there's a lot of applications we could have made, but one of the things that just stood out to me was there's at least three different ways he refers to himself within this passage, all three of which I think should should prompt an application in our lives, a principle that, that should come alive. Number one, I want you to notice that he identifies himself as being absolute. In the passage, he's going to say, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am, as you know, is present tense. Um, it's right now. It's here. It's this moment. And it says so much about God, even though there's only three letters that make up this reference to him. There's just so much profound nature to it. He is always present tense. He's always right here. He's always now. He is, as I've illustrated as far as our application is concerned, he's absolute. He's not to be questioned. He's not in doubt. He is, he is rock solid. He is the rock of ages, if you will, that uh, you can count upon. Now, the applications of that are huge. But to me, one of the things that I, I find to be as unique 
or maybe intriguing about it more than anything else is that notice that there's only three letters that make up this reference. Tell him, I am. Tell them, I am sent you. God is amazing in the way that he can use some of the most basic, simple things to do the most profound applications in our lives. You've thought of communion, I'm sure. You know, it's grape juice. And it's bread. You know, simple stuff. You know, not complicated at all. And yet that's what God has used to just radically change us and make us. So the first thing that I, I find with regards to God naming himself is the applications that can be made from him being or referring to, referring to himself as I am. Now that is further expanded when you back up just a little bit. Notice how he says it first of all. He says, I am who I am. I'll be who I am. I'm not controlled by anyone. I have a, an existence that is mine. I am in control of this existence, and no one challenges my existence. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says that because of what God has created, we all are without excuse. There's not a person that's ever been born who hasn't been elected to some degree of advantage. The very fact that you can feel the wind on your face, or you can see the sunrise, or you can, uh, you can taste the grape, or you can uh, hear the birds in the morning. All of these things are testimonies of God. He has not left us without obvious evidence that he is. The I am did that. And so he is an absolute force. One last thing, then I'll move on to my second point. In our world of, of wokeness, cultural enlightenment, which is really more of a darkness than anything, but in our world that seems to think it's so advanced, we're finding that more and more people are being given over to this idea that truth is not absolute, that there are some things that are just kind of relative. Understand that that's not of God. God says, I am. That's absolute. There is no changing. He is. It's the one thing in your life that you can anchor yourself to that will never move, never change. And so do that. So number one, when he names himself, he names himself in such a way that it gives him an identity as being absolute. Number two, he also identifies as being generational. This is interesting that God is progressive. Even though he is the I am, he's not stuck in that moment. He's invested in the progress of humanity. Watch what he says here. He says, when you get there, tell them the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. Now, we know these three men. We've been talking about them and how important they are, especially if you are with me last time with our series in the book of Genesis. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're like the big three. They are the patriarchs of old, right? Well, when you consider these men, you also have to consider the generational existence in the heart of men. Remember what happened prior to Abraham. The next big character as you're moving backwards is Noah. And remember what happened with Noah. Noah gets on the big boat because the entire world is basically forgotten about God. We're so warped, so perverted, we've forgotten about God. But as you move back in time, go all the way back to Adam, you know that there was just this 
one man, one woman in a relationship with God. They knew him. He knew them. And there was this intimacy that happened, but then they had to be pushed out of the garden because they sinned. And then the process began with forgetting, moving away from God. Remember what God says to Cain. He said that sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can control it. Problem was, Cain didn't control it, and most humanity hasn't controlled it since. And so God continues to stand at the door and knock, to quote the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and yet most of us are not willing to listen. We're in, in a rebellious mode. But back to our story with regards to God, when he names himself, he names himself as a God who carries through out the generations. He doesn't leave us in one generation. It's not like he's been absent. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And you go on, I'm the God of Joseph. Eventually, I'm the God of Moses, as you see, or you see in our book. And on and on, you can go with that. God continues to stay with us in a generational form. Now, that big application for you and I, then, is that we must, capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T, must pass his values on in a generational manner. That's why it's so dangerous to turn your children over to the world for the majority of their waking hours each school day. Because I guarantee you, Satan is using the world to undermine the knowledge of God. If it's going to be generational, we've got to do what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, called the Shema to the Jew. The idea that when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the path, all day long, everywhere you look in your house, should reference God, who he is. It's generational. And so God, secondarily, identifies himself as he's coming back onto the scene, sending Moses back, saying to the Hebrews, the Israelites, here's why I've got the authority to call you out of Egypt. Because God is absolute, I am. Secondarily, because God is a God of generations. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking to you as a person representing that God. And then number three, it's also that God identifies himself as being selective. God has favorites. Um, God has those who he instills a greater degree of advantage to. Now, God loves all humanity. He always has. But there are certain folks, and certainly during this time period, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, were ultimately favored by God, with the blessings of God. And as you see number three play out, you see that this is apparent. Notice he's going to say, lastly, they're going to listen to you and your voice when when you take the elders of Israel, you, I want you to go to the king then and say to the king, look, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So the third thing he does in referencing his name or who he is, is he identifies himself as being selective. Notice that he, in this particular case, Moses isn't given the assignment to go to the king of Egypt and say, your God has spoken to us has met with us. That doesn't, that's not what he says. And the reason is because the Egyptians had a plethora of gods that they were worshiping, not the one Jehovah God. There was only one group within their midst that dedicated themselves solely to one God. You know who that was? The Hebrews. And so God was selective. And he says, I want you to identify to the king via my name, who I am, that I am the God of the Hebrews. These people who you've enslaved, 
these folks who you are abusing, I'm their God. And, of course, this is a setup for what Moses is going to go on to do, and that is he's going to decimate the country through the power of God because they don't recognize the God of the Hebrews. Instead, you know what Pharaoh's going to do. He's going to increase their workload. He's going to abuse them even further, etc., etc. He's not going to let them go until finally the tenth plague comes upon them, the death of the firstborn, and then finally he's going to let them go. But once they get out of town, they're going to start chasing them down again. Remember that? That's how stubborn he was. God was selective. I'm the God of the... I'm not your God, Pharaoh. Not that I couldn't be, but you haven't chosen me to be your God. I am selective, God says. So, when you, when you recognize in this passage how God defines himself, there's a lot of things that not only apply to us, but I think should lift our hearts and make us feel good, solid, secure. Our God's absolute. A lot of things in this world are not absolute, but my God is. My God's generational. He's a God that doesn't just stick himself in one spot, but he is, he's been traveling with me even through my ancestors. He's been traveling with me. And my God's selective. And unlike Pharaoh, I choose to make him my God. Acts chapter 17, verse 27, I'm to seek him, and I do. And that one God, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, I'm without excuse because that one God has clearly made himself obvious to the world. I choose that God. And he selects me as his child. And in that process, I have a divine blessing that is not compared to any other blessing that I could ever receive. Powerful the way God defines himself. So again, here are the five questions that we tried to cover during the sermon segment. I think we did a pretty good job. Screenshot that, and you'll have that for the final test. Wow, I appreciate you all for being with me each Lord's Day, and thank you for studying along with me in the book of Exodus. I pray that these things are inspirational and helping you as they are helping me, changing my life, and I hope that they're changing your life as well. Thank you so much for also supporting my ministry. Uh, we continue to kind of struggle financially, and so if you can reach out to us and add us to your missions giving, that would be wonderful. These lessons are literally watched by people around the world. In fact, we sent a little bit of money out to a fella in Kenya just uh, yesterday because he was struggling with the Internet, wanting to do the lessons, but he didn't have enough Internet. Uh, and so we tried to help him to get some Internet so he would be able to stay with us as a student for the Restoration School of Biblical Studies. All of that happens because you are generous to us. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is the Lord's Day. And as I try to say every Lord's Day, keep it simple, keep it innocent, and keep it meaningful. The Lord deserves it. I love you, and I thank you so much for being with me. This is Sonny Chow saying, be there, Matthew 16, 26.